You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Somebody asked me the other day, how long is this series going to go? I was like, well, at least 10 weeks. So uh, there's 10 commandments. We're going to be here at least 10 weeks. And but we're in uh, week, I don't know, seven or eight or whatever we're in. And uh, have y'all, how many of y'all have heard that old song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? A couple of you? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an older song. And uh, I won't sing it for you. Y'all have heard my capabilities of singing. But looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in all the wrong faces. And uh, we're going to be kind of talking about that this morning. We're thinking about what it looks like for us in relation to the first uh, to the Ten Commandments of what it means to have a relationship with each other and an interesting take on it that God gives us. So, you know, last week we talked about murder and you think, why would God have to say, do not murder someone? And it's because the cultures around them um, were murdering and do what that looked like. And then here in the next one in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, God lays out for us another commandment. And one of the reasons that he lays that out is, again, What God was trying to do was he wanted us to understand that we should worship the right God in the right way. And in doing so, therefore, then it impacts our relationships with other people. And so God was showing that for the Hebrew people and now for us, that there's this Judeo-Christian ethic that makes us distinctive from the rest of the world. And it's not about the rules and checking off different things, but it's about the fact that these commandments guide us and direct us to God and to a relationship with him and how he understands that if we live within these boundaries, that we'll have the life and life to the full that he wants us to have. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. If not, it'll be up on the screen. I'm going to be referring to several different verses throughout. And so some of them are, I think all of them are actually on your notes. And uh, some of them will actually read together. Some we won't. You'll need to do that on your own. But um some of your own study, but we have a lot to talk about and think about today in relationship to this topic in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 14. And it says this, you must not commit adultery. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Well, what is adultery? Adultery is this, any relationship, any intimate relationship outside of the marriage covenant. So let me just pause real quick. Um, I'm going to be using some PG 13 plus words. And so if you don't want to explain some of those words to your children, now's the time for them to exit. Okay? So there you go. So I should have said that earlier. All right? So that adultery is anything outside of that marriage covenant and what that, um, what that looks like. And so here God tells us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, you must not have sexual relationship outside the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. And so what I want us to grasp from this is several different things and kind of expand on what that actually means. The first thing is this, is we need to have a biblical understanding of marriage. And so the first thing about a biblical concept of what marriage is, is one, is that it is complementary. That man and woman are complementary. And so every once in a while I'll see someone post something of, hey, my other, my spouse completes me. Now I know what you mean when you say my spouse completes me, but actually they don't. All right. If they uh, the only person that completes you is the person of Jesus Christ, that you find your identity in him and he completes you. And that through that completion, then two can become one. Two can move together toward Christ in that relationship 
But in reality, whenever God created Adam and Eve, he didn't, com- he didn't create completers because he was already the completer. He created complementary helpmates to work together, that we are teammates together to move toward Christ. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and following. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he wanted us to be in relationship. We are relational beings. And I will make a helper. That's that word helpmate or to complement one another who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. And he brought to the man, them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. Now, I know some of you, this is what really concerns you. Like, how did he come up with aardvark? And how did he come up with kangaroo and some of these names? And you're like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to, like, seek out Adam and go, dude, what kind of coffee were you drinking when you named some of these people and this, some of this stuff? But, I mean, that's, that's a part of it. So Adam is there as a part of this different thing. And so all of these animals are formed. He gave names to all of the livestock and all of the birds of the sky and all of the wild animals. But there was still no helper just right for him. So all of creation has come before Adam, and none of them are able to have a soul relationship, the type of relationship that God desires for man to have with one another. So God takes action. God's not surprised by this, so God takes action. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. It must have been a Sunday after lunch. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening, which we're thankful that he closed up the opening. That would be kind of weird. Walking around like that. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Now, this is what I want you to get. So maybe in your Bibles, in your notes, just underline woman and underline man. So man, the word here is ish and the word for woman is ish ash. So, again, it shows this this complementary thing of out of man came woman. So there's this complementary piece to this of that relationship. And it goes on. At last, the man says, after he woke up from his nap. There is a bone for my bone, flesh for my flesh. She will be called, whoa, man, no, woman. All right, I know y'all heard that. Because she is taken for man. Again, ish-ash is taken from ish. And this is that complementary piece where the two are one. And, and they are not completers of each other, but they're complementary of one another. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, man and woman, why they leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife and their two are united in one. Now, this word joined is, is dote. It's this idea of a mingling of souls. All right. So that two are united in one. And so this is the mystery of the husband and wife relationship. And so this is the one thing I think that we need to grasp is that whenever God set for us in his great plan of one man, one woman together in a covenant relationship so that we can experience the, the intimacy and the vulnerability and the unity that happens in the marriage bed setting is because of this joining together that happens when two become one. There's actually this word dull is our souls mingle together. So think of this idea of the roots of two trees coming together and intermingling in such a way that those the roots of those two trees are so sewn together that you can't distinguish the difference between the two. And so that's what happens when a man and a woman enter into an intimate relationship together, that our souls are knit together. And so this is one of the things when I talk to young people in particular is this idea of there is no such thing as casual relationships. That there is no such thing as this casualness because there's this mystery thing that every time 
that there's this intimacy together, that there's this, the roots just grow together even more and they're more tangled, they're more twisted. And so in that moment, this is one of the reasons why divorce and breaking up from your boyfriend or girlfriend in these moments, one of the reasons that it is so difficult is there's literally the roots are being ripped apart, they're being hurt, and so you've got to chop at them and you've got to do harm to yourself, you've got to do harm to others to pull that stuff apart. And so God says this is why the covenant relationship between a man and a woman is so significant is because we're not just two animals, we are two humans where our souls bond. Together. That's why a man and a woman leave and cleave, and this is why it's so important. It's distinctiveness, especially of the Christian Judeo sexual ethic. Now, man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, and that's the part of it is that we're vulnerable together, we're transparent in those moments. This is what, in that, in that experience, that a man and woman, especially over years, understand that there is no shame because there's no pain, there's no shame, there's no regrets because the two are to one and we're experiencing what. God was not surprised when Adam and Eve were together for the first time. He created it and He created it for a purpose, and He's like, yes! This is what I long for for you is this intimacy of the weaving together of your souls. So the first thing that I want you to get is this, is that it's our biblical understanding of marriage is there's a complementary piece to it. The second piece that I want you to get is that God wants us to have children. If we can have children, he wants us to have children. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? Again, this mingling, this united together. In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? What does God want from this relationship? God, godly children through your union. In other words, he wants you to have children and he wants you to raise them up in the faith. So guard your heart and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. So children is another aspect of, hey, if you're able to have it, have children, and God's provided, then we want you to do that. But even more importantly than having them is to raise them up in the faith. Again, this is the, the central point of the home. The other piece that I want you to get is that Christ and the church is a great illustration of what marriage should look like. And this is that idea that Christ has given himself for the church. And so as husbands, we are the lead sacrifices in the family. We are called to lay down our life, to give our all for our wife and our kids, and that that is our call. And so that's why in the Bible it talks about, hey, husbands, you are the head of the household. What that means is that we're the lead sacrificers. We're the ones that are willing to give our life. We are the ones to step in front of a train. And so because of that, if we live and lead out that way, what wife and what children wouldn't follow a leader that's a lead sacrificer? Are like that. And so as a matter of fact, even in Ephesians, that's one of the things that he talks about is that a husband and a wife, our roles are to outserve one another, that we are to 100% try to outserve. And that's that completing, that complementary piece of together of, hey, you have skills and you have talents and you have a specific role. I have skills and talents, a specific role. And we are trying to outserve one another. And this is a picture of the church is that as Christ is the head of the church, the reason that he's the head of the church is because he gave his life for it. And so that for us as husbands, we are to be willing to, and if necessary, to lay down our lives for our families, and that is the self-sacrificing piece of the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and following, it says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined, again, the mingling together to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are to be one. 
So a biblical understanding of marriage then is one is that we are complementary partners together. That we are, we are united and to be one. And that if, if that's a part of the thing, then we're to be having children. And as we have children, we're raising them up in the faith and raising them up. And what does it mean to be followers of God? And we're pointing to these Ten Commandments because it's raising them up and pointing them to Jesus. And that we are to understand that the illustration of Christ in the church and that for that roles means that as the husband, we're sacrificing our lives for that. And what, what woman doesn't want their husband to be a, a knight in shining armor? And one of the interesting things is in that Ephesians passage, it all goes on to say that husbands, you are to love your wives. And so it's that self-sacrificial love. And it says, women, you are to respect your husbands. So it's Two different words. It's an interesting thing. And what that means is that, that ladies, whenever we like sweep the floor and we do an incredible job, you're to be like, whoa, honey, I've never seen anyone sweep the floor like that before. I've never seen the dishes been washed so clean before. And that we're like, you know it. Come on. And how that, that, that is those roles of like respect and of love one another and what we do together to to merge these things too and so this biblical understanding of marriage is that we're complementary and that we're to raise children up in a godly home and that the the church and christ in the church is this understanding of of self of laying down your lives for the other and respecting the other and what they do the other thing that i wanted to get from this and understand from this is that we're to be protecting the gift of marriage and family that the family is under attack that if you are a Christian or you're pursuing what the you know what it says for us to look like as a family that is under attack and so since creation the family has been under attack and it seems like for whatever reason that maybe we're under attack more I don't know that we are but we have been for all of eternity the family has been under attack and so I want to show you three ways that the family is under attack and the first way that we see is this word porneia and the word porneia we get our word pornography from and it is a generic term, okay, for all illicit sexual practices, okay? So it's sexual immorality as a whole. So when you think of pornea, it's all this sexual activity out there. And so in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says this, It is what comes from the inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, Lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. So in other words, it's listing off all of our stuff, right? I mean, there's not, it's not pulling out just one, but he's listing all of our stuff. But that word sexual immorality is porneia, and it's, a, it's that generalities of, hey, if you've had bad, evil thoughts, you fit into that. So all these vile or evil things come from, come from within, and this is what defiles you. As a matter of fact, maybe just even put a note on there, Jeremiah 17, 9, that says to us, our hearts are evil hearts. And so this is the deal that whenever we say yes to Jesus, Jesus takes our old evil hearts that literally the scripture describes as calcified, which doctors tell us today, if we have heart issues, what are they telling us? Our heart, the vessels leading into our heart have what? They've calcified. So they didn't even know all of that back then. And they're telling us in Scripture that you have a calcified heart that's like stone and can't move and can't beat properly. And so you need to have that heart, have heart surgery and take it out and have a new heart put in so that we don't struggle with these things so that now we have a new appetite. So if you've ever met someone that's had a heart attack or have had heart surgery, had a heart replacement, they don't eat the same way that they used to. Why? 
because the way that they were eating, the way that they weren't, whatever, their lifestyle led to the fact that their heart was calcified. And so here, this is what the authors of the Old Testament, New Testament are telling us, is that you have a heart that by the things that you're ingesting has calcified your heart. You need a new one. And the only way that you can get a new heart is by the gospel of Jesus Christ and through salvation through him. And he places a new heart in you. And through that new heart, now you have new eyes and you eat and you think and you exercise differently because of that. And so God tells us that this porneia, these things are not of him, and so we shouldn't crave for these things anymore. And we're craving, from, craving things of the old life that don't bring life, but bring pain, shame, regret, and all kinds of stuff. The other word that I want you to get is arson coitus. Now, this is a word that Paul brought together two different words, and the reason that he brought these words together is because he gave us a new word that he wanted to make sure that we were clear about. Now, in those days, in old days, there was parts of worship that you and I cannot wrap our minds around, okay? And one of the parts of a lot of groups of worship in those days was a thing called pedastry. And that was men and young boys, okay? So that's all you need to know. Men and young boys, and that was a part of worship together. Paul had talked about that, that that is not of God. And then he goes, here's a whole other thing, is I want you to grasp that anyone of the same gender should not be sharing the same bed together. And so he uses this word, arson quotatus, all right? And it's this idea of that two of the same gender should not be together. And so he's talking about that, and he says it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and following. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for the people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or their mother and commit other murders. The law is for people who, again, this is that that bigger word that we talked about a little bit ago, porneia, okay? For the law is for the sexually immoral and for those who practice homosexuality. That's that arson quotatus word, all right? Or slave traders or liars or promise breakers or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching. That comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me. This is Paul talking by our blessed God. So sexual immorality as a whole, arson quotatus, that kind of relationship. And then he also talks about epithumeo, which is the affections of our heart. Now, this is where we desire, where we covet, where we long for, we have lustful intent. Now, I know some of you, you guys love Colorado or you love Wyoming or you love Montana. And why do you love that? Because you're like, man. The mountains are just gorgeous. I love going to see God's creation. Well, listen, we do that, too, in another way between men and women. So sometimes, men, you'll see a woman walk by, and you'll be like, God, you did good. Sometimes, ladies, you'll see a God, guy walk by, and you're like, spend a little extra time on that one, did you, God? You know what I mean? You have those conversations inside of yourself. And listen, that is the same thing. We are human. God... That is natural for us to see someone and we go, God, you did good. That is the part where there's an attraction that happens. There's some things that go on in that. That is natural. The part where we're supposed to stop is, hey, God, you did a good job. That's it. The next thing is where we move past that and there's lust, there's evil desires, there's 
beyond those things, that that's where the sin comes in of, hey, God, you did a good job. Then we move on. That's the affections of our heart that move us to a different place. And so it moves into thoughts. It moves into fantasies. It moves into things that we read. It moves into our clicking. It moves into our affections. And so we pursue other things in a different way. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, you have heard the commandment, you must not commit adultery. And then he kind of adds on to that. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. Again, it's your heart's affections where your mind takes you, where your heart takes you. That old cow starts pursuing things that shouldn't be a part of your life anymore. You've already committed adultery with her in your heart. But I say anyone who looks at a woman, you got that. But I say anyone who looks at a woman, well, what happened? Didn't we just read that? There we go. So it's that movement of moving forward so that whenever you say that you see someone and you're like, God, you did a good job, and then you continue on. And so this, this is where all of us fall into that camp. Because I know we are human. And in our humanness, God has given us natural inclinations to certain types of people, certain types of things, and you're like, God, you did good. And then for us to be able to say, that's as far as it goes. In our humanity, okay, all of us are tempted. That's a part of being humanity. The next step is stopping the temptation, saying we're not going to go forward. None of us escapes the words of Jesus here in that. All right? So here's what I want you to get from all of this. Is God's a God of good news. And the good news is this, is that God restores the brokenhearted. He restores those that have lost the way. He restores us even in our temptations. That this is, this you must not commit adultery is an interesting thing for us. And it's something that our world today, we are the most highly sexualized culture that has ever been. Has it always been a part of culture? Yes. But listen. You have phones, your young people have phones, and y'all have this wonderful tool called the Internet, and that is streaming this stuff into our house and into our lives. And so we have to guard our hearts. We have to, because the Scripture says what comes in determines, the food that we eat determines what comes out. We've got to guard ourselves. And so for us as parents, I mean, as we're raising godly children, we have to ask some of these questions. We may have to do some things that may not seem cool that all the other parents are like, no, go ahead. And we say, "Mm, no, we're going to turn it off or you're not going to have access to certain things. Why? Not because we're not cool, but because we know where that stuff leads and the harm and the hurt and the pain and the shame and the regret and the mingling of the souls that happens. And we've been there in the roots and what that causes and everything about it. And we're like, no, we do not want that for ourselves. We do not want that for our kids. And so instead of giving them, here's the boundaries, maybe we for even ourselves, we should step back and say, hey, even some of the shows that we watch that we're casual about, that maybe we should not be so casual about some of those things. And we should be watering our own yard because we get this idea of the grass is greener on the other side. And instead, like, water your grass. One of the things that I want you to get is this, is that this, this idea of that I have couples that come into my office that are followers of Jesus, have no doubt about that, but that are in an intimate relationship with one another. And they're struggling with some different things. And listen, I, you need to understand that that is outside of what God wants for us. 
It's not the best for us. And I know that culture says, hey, it's okay. I'm telling you that this in this moment, listen, God wants more for you. And he does not want your souls to mingle together until you're in covenant relationship together. And I don't know what it is, but the statistics are off the chart for us. That if we live together before we covenant, your marriage is probably going to fail. And there's something about the security. There's something about the covenant. There's something about the roots that have been together that that happens. And I don't quite grasp it. And I'll be honest, there are times that it logically does not make sense. But the statistics back up God's word. And so for us as men... To even think about as young men in particular, as you're dating and you're thinking about these young ladies, one of the things that we're to be doing as Christ in the church is Christ. He raised up the role of women. He raised up the women in the sight of people around him. And they saw women with different perspective. And so for men, for us, we're to raise up our women. And one of the things we constantly have to be thinking about as we're dating someone or we're married to someone is what am I doing and am I raising up how people see the character of my wife? The purity of my wife or the character and the purity of my girlfriend. Do they think less of my girlfriend because they're dating me? Not because of who I am, but about the choices that we're making and, and all the different things. Like that impacts. And for us as men and as young men, we should be raising up women and no one doubts. Listen, I've had guys sit in my office and tell me that their girlfriend and them live in the same house and nothing's happening. And I'm like, you're a much better man than I am. Because if she's attractive and y'all are attracted to each other, it is going to happen. It's just going to happen. And you, there is, it is virtually an impossibility. If you're there for more than a couple of days, something's going to happen. And so more importantly than that is people think that something's happening and you have lessened the character of that woman that you love and vice versa. And so let's not do that. Let's raise that up. Let's wait a little bit longer. And at least people have doubts about it. So not even for that, but our purpose is to raise them up and to keep them in the best possible space for their relationship with God. So that our girlfriends and our wives and our boyfriends and our husbands don't have to worry about their relationship, aren't struggling with their relationship with the God because their relationship here is messed up. And again, what I remind you of what the Ten Commandments tell us is our relationship with God here is impacted by our relationships here with our neighbors, with our spouse, with our friends. All of that stuff is impacted. So here's what I want you to get. Guard your heart. All right? Guard your heart. All of us are going to be tempted. All of us are going to be tempted. First Corinthians chapter 10. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Temptations in your life are going to happen. You're going to fall. All right, so stay away. As a matter of fact, the scripture says flee, literally run as fast as you can from sexual immorality. The beautiful thing is that we understand from Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus has walked on our steps and he's been tempted in the same way that you and I have. So he understands all the things that you're struggling with. Reach out. All right, so you're going to be tempted. The second thing, I'm, I'm skipping through these verses real quick, so you got them, you're gonna read them at home, okay? The second thing that I want you to get is this, some of you have these wonderful newfangled things that when you're driving somewhere and you don't go the right route, what's it say to you? Rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Listen, there's all of us at times in our life, we need Siri or Google or whoever, Alexa, to say rerouting, rerouting because we've lost our way. And sometimes it's just a little step and all of a sudden you need, oop, 
rerouting, rerouting, and the Spirit of God to do that for us. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, that's that idea. Don't be misled. You cannot mock God. You will always harvest what you plant. In other words, we reap what we've sowed every single time. If you plant corn, you're not going to get green beans. And I don't even plant anything, and I know that. But we do that in our life. We plant stuff over and over and over again, and then we're like, God, why? And he's like, because that's what you planted. You sowed it. I'm God, but I don't. You planted the seed. If you have a thousand credit cards and you've got a whole bunch of money, that you're not going to get rich. We reap what we sow. The final thing that I want you to get is this, is that God is a God of the brokenhearted. We're going to be tempted. We're going to lose our way sometimes. He reroutes us, and this is the beautiful thing about it, is that God is a God of the brokenhearted. That is the gospel. That is the good news. The good news is, is that God is a God of the brokenhearted for all of us. And he, so he comes to restore our hearts and our souls. He comes to restore us back to right relationship. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.